Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. This is episode 88 and I'm your host as always, Elwood Jones. And joining me of course is my co-host, the professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Tonight we are going to be looking at Japan's entry into the disaster movie genre as we check out The Bullet Train. Uh, not to be confused with a upcoming Brad Pitt movie, but in fact the Sonny Chiba movie from 1975 in which he doesn't actually appear much. But uh, <laughs> more on that as we go, get into our, our feature view. But before we do, it's time to ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, since the last episode, what has been holding your interest? Okay. Before I tell you a movie that I have watched, okay. which I think you've probably seen as well, I will just draw attention to two Blu-rays turned up this week. One of which is Summertime Machine Blues, which I know I've been going on about. I know you have. It's um... I, and 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 it finally dropped through my letterbox. This I mean, I've seen it before. I've I um I think we talked about Yellow Cinema. Is <laughs> how so I used to have a copy of it. Okay. But to, to have a proper proper European Blu-ray release is like the greatest thing ever, and I will definitely be as it's a third window films yeah. thing. I imagine it's on streaming as well, so I will um be bringing that to the show at some point. It this hasn't year for sure. Turned up yet? Um, yeah. But I think it. I think it's. You're probably right. It's probably like on the Terracotta streaming service. It's going to be somewhere. But it, no, it's. It was really funny. Like you mentioned it back when we talked about um, uh, Infinite. Beyond the Infinite Two yes, Minutes. Beyond yes. Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. And then as of this week, it seems like everyone is suddenly talking about this movie. So look at you setting trends. And uh, I mean, I saw it a long time ago. I think it's one of the best time travel movies of all time. And and. To be fair, even though I slagged off the cover, Third Window Films retweeted me. So, you know, that's good. <laughs> Probably with the tagline, <laughs> look at this jackass. <laughs> no, I think that I think they know where I'm coming. It's in their... Um, they, they, Third Window Films have got a, a house style, haven't they? And mm. to be fair, the house style is very reminiscent of a lot of Japanese film posters, which are usually fairly bloody awful because um, they just want to show the the stars off yeah. and out of context anyway there's that and the other thing is something I'd forgotten I'd pre-ordered a long long time ago is 88 films have put out a nice but well overly priced box set of The Seventh Curse which is a film I haven't seen for a long time so The Seventh Curse if you don't know it is one of these um Oh, crikey. I can't remember the name. It's sort of like the series of films. Uh, I can't remember the name of the, sort of the character, but it, it's sort of a bit Indiana Jones, but a bit Ghostbusters, a bit Japanese. Um, this one 
stars Chow Yun-Fat and Maggie Chung. It's a long time since I've seen it. It's a beautiful set with a poster and a picture book um, um, and some lobby cards, all sorts of things. I think I've, you know, I, I, I didn't need all that extra stuff, but it's another film that I remember. What, is it Wiley? Is that the character? I can't remember. Anyway, um, it's another film I'll be bringing back to the... Uh, back to the show it's uh it's one of my favorite cherry young fat films and anything with maggie chung in is something i always love anyway so they're things i haven't watched yet but i just wanted to say had landed on my doormat and yeah i'm, I'm pretty excited in fact these 88 films on um really nice sets i just wish they were 10 pounds cheaper but i guess that's what happens when you've got a market of about 50 people that's what you have to do um, however, I did dip into my Shorescope One Arrow set that I bought all those months ago and watching things in random order. And this week I watched Chinatown Kid. Okay. Um, now, Chinatown Kid. Oh, it's really good, by the way. Let's just start with that. Really oh, I'm glad enjoyed you it. Liked it. Yeah, really enjoyed it. The, it wasn't a film I'd seen before. Um, although, you know, I think we've both watched a lot of Chang Che films. Mm. And to be fair, I think Chang Che doesn't think much of his uh, Shaw Brothers output. But this one I thought was really interesting. And what's really cool is that I, I didn't know this, is that there are two versions of the film. And quite often when we say there's multiple versions of a film, we just mean like there's been three minutes cut out because it's got nunchucks in it or something like that. <laughs> this is you know, the version that's been going around for a while that has been sort of vaguely available is a 90 minute version the which is actually known as the alternate version the actual proper version is nearly 2 hours long and and adds significantly more story and ends completely differently now it's basically it's, it's one of these stories it's like um there's a few films like this in the Shaw brothers canon basically young buck comes from somewhere in this case mainland china He's a nice guy, but a bit of a prick. And he's really good at Kung Fu. And he comes to live with his um, grandfather in Hong Kong and basically falls out with the triads and gets sent over to San Francisco. When I say San Francisco, there's some framing shots that are in San Francisco. The rest of it is the... Um, is the Causeway Bay Studios in Hong Kong. And you can tell this, A, because it doesn't look like America, and secondly, all the cars have got the steering wheels on the wrong side. <laughs> but uh, they didn't they, they they put a hot dog stand up and said this is Chinatown in San Francisco. Anyway, it doesn't matter. When he gets to San Francisco, the same thing happens. He falls out with the triad, not only the triad, the same bloody people that were in Hong Kong before. Um however, it's got both some pretty good action, I think. I mean, it's not that's not something I, I feel particularly um, expert on is is the quality of the fighting, but it all feels good. It's got the venoms in it, right? So it's 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 quality action. But not only that, it's got a really really good story, and the the, the full length version has got a real downer of an ending, which actually works in terms of the sort of the morality at play. I really liked it, and it was sort of one of those ones in that box set that I, you know, it's hidden in the middle of the set. Um, it's not like 
I, well, I guess it, it almost feels redundant compared to um, a couple of the earlier films in there. But it's really, really, really good. Um, do you like it? I've, I assume you've seen it. I have seen it, yes. It was like one of the ones that I watched first off in that, that particular set. And yeah, I mean, Cheng Che is obviously super important, especially in terms of Shaw Brothers movies. It's, he obviously did like Five Deadly Venoms. He also did the really awesome Five Element Ninjas. Um, and he did Boxer from Shang Tung, which is this is very similar to, as you have this character who obviously, in this t- case, you have the two characters. You have the one who's sort of like has to choose between the life of crime or following his studies or you have uh, the one that's just like a sort of a froze himself into like the crime life and you have these two sort of parallel stories there whereas um i found box for shang tung which is also in the short scope box set a much more effective uh, movie but yeah i mean it's always interesting when you see your brothers do something in a more modern setting than a traditional setting that we come to expect from their movies so I think it's uh, interesting in that respect. And, I mean, Cheng Che, I mean, his whole filmography is filled with fascinating films. Um, so I think he's always... If you see he's directed something, I normally find it's worth checking out. Some of it's not so great, but it has interesting moments when you look at things such as, like, Man of Iron or House of Traps. Um, and then you have, like, other films like Five Deadly Venoms where he puts like really interesting twists on the format of like what a kung fu movie is because I mean Five Deadly Venoms is more of sort of like a thriller than it is a kung fu movie there just happens to be some really great kung fu moments in it uh but no I'm glad that you enjoyed this one I've only seen the 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 Japanese cut I've not actually seen so you've seen you've seen the shorter so I've seen the Hong Kong cut it's not the Japanese cut at all yeah <laughs> no yeah that's well it's I think it's like an international it's a bit complicated they call it they call the long one the international version and the short one the alternate version but I think most people have only seen the alternate version yeah. which is a bit weird it's also got which I think is quite rare for a Shaw Brothers film not one not two not three but I think four major parts for women now they are adjuncts to our two heroes and you're right i did kind of miss out there is this other story about this student from taiwan but in the longer version he only turns up after half an hour so it's <laughs> it's it's well he sort of there's this hint to it but they don't really get together till nearly 40 minutes into the movie but yeah including susan shaw who is like ubiquitous isn't it i think she was in um a movie what was the last film we looked at Oh, when I talked to her, you know, she's still in films today. She was in Vampire Cleanup Department, for example. Yeah. She's, she's she's an actor. My God, she was gorgeous as a young woman. <laughs> I'm not sure I should say this, but um, yes, the uh, there a are a lot of now, but yeah, well, well, you can cut it out. But there are a lot of not just attractive ladies, but ladies with proper roles that, that actually impact the plot and aren't. You know, even at the beginning, the sort of it turns out the sort of the head of the triad. You don't realise it, but the boss is a woman, and I mean, she's not in it for long. But yeah, I just thought that was really interesting, and it was really interesting to see it set in pseudo San Francisco. I kind of like that. As a, I've actually been to Chinatown in San Francisco, and yeah, I mean, there the there are some establishing shots which were literally taken, not just pretend and. It hasn't changed much in twenty in the twenty five years between I went there and this film was made, but uh, I guess another twenty years have passed since then. But no, I really enjoyed it. a bit of a treat. I wasn't ex- I wasn't expecting to, and I got to be honest with you, mate. Um, we spoke this morning, 
as part of our, our pre-production, i.e. can you record tonight? And I think we both were saying, oh, we haven't really watched anything else. What are we going to talk about? So I was desperate to fit a film in. And I just opened, I thought, I'll open one, I'll watch one of these. And I, of course, picked the one that was two hours long. I don't know why you just didn't like go for Mighty Peking Man. It's sort of like... It's I'm kind so of holding it, and... but I, I tell you why. Okay. There are a couple of films in that box which I want to watch with you as part of okay. an episode, and Mighty Peking Man is absolutely one of them because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've done enough Gonzo stuff. <laughs> I think. We... I mean, Mighty Peking Man was along with like Super Infra Man, their attempt to do something with the sort of kaiju genre or Super Takesetsu. Uh, like special effects movies and these like they're two random oddities but then again the Shaw Brothers catalogue is full of random oddities like this if you start looking past the Kung Fu movies and you look at things like The Oily Maniac for example or uh, A Sexy Killer which was their version of Coffee um, yeah and, I and think... things like and, and the later horror stuff like Hex which is Part period drama, part nudie film. I mean, it's, it's they, they, yeah, they, they, there are lots of things, but yes, I mean, in that, that box set, we've spoken about it before, it's really odd to me. Um, they have neither gone for stone cold classics up and down, there are some stone cold classics in there, and, and but, but it's not, I think, I think there's what eight, nine, ten films in that collection, and I don't think, I mean, I don't think anybody, you know any of us if we said what's our favourite 10 Shaw Brothers films we'd have a list that was the same at all but I suspect there's one or two which would be in everything and just things like this the Chinatown Kid which even the director isn't you know he's not against it but it's just different and the gorgeousness of it both the versions are on here and there's dub versions and there's extra special features that I haven't even delved into um there's some marvellous stuff, which I guess if you didn't know, you didn't know. But the Taiwanese characters and the Chinese characters are just speaking their own language to each other all the way through. So it's, I'm guessing if you uh, if you don't have the subtitles <coughs> and you only speak Mandarin, you're not going to understand half the film. So um, that's kind of cool. But yeah, no, it's a really interesting box set, a really weird box set. But every time I've dipped into it, I've really enjoyed the movie. Like I watched Dirty Ho, didn't I? Which was sort of sort of a film that's only sort of given half the it's only given half a disc in this set. I really enjoyed that. So it's it's been I think I've watched four films out of it now and I haven't failed to enjoy one of them. So it does sit there on my shelf not fitting anything. And, yeah, that's the downside, isn't it? And and telling me you spent a hundred pounds on this. <laughs> Well, and I'm eating my baked beans and toast, you know, because I can't afford food. Well, I didn't say that, but uh, uh, Yuko Shimizu, um, yeah, that's right, isn't it? Yuko uh, Shimizu, who um, did the Criterion cover for the Godzilla Shower Era, has just put mm. out the did the artwork for the Mothra vinyl. Oh, uh, mate, I wish you hadn't put that on Facebook, which has been put out by Waxworks Records. Yeah. It's like I. I don't even own a record player, yeah. But I went straight to the website to see. see I hadn't been; it actually hadn't been released by the time I went on there. But I am all over that nice um, double vinyl and the, yeah. I mean, you're right. That's another nice set. That Godzilla set is a lovely set. I'm glad I got it cheaper than the 
list for you. haven't even opened yours. Have no, you? no. It's still, uh, still sealed it, like um, Penn's copy of uh, Velvet Underground. Yeah, it and it's got some lovely artwork inside from various sort of indie comic creators as well. But yeah, that when you, I don't always follow everything that everyone does on Facebook, but as it as, by chance. Yours came up in my feed. I just looked at it and thought, "Oh God, I really, really, really want that." Because that's another nice. Um, who's the Mothra Blu-ray done by? Is that Arrow? That was Eureka. Eureka, and that's in a, like a pseudo box, so it again doesn't really fit anything. But the cover art is just gloriously. I don't know, Jason King. <laughs> it's just. It's very mondo and 60s, 70s, crazy pink. And I, I, yeah, I need that in my life. And I hate you for bringing my attention to it. <laughs> well, I've been a big fan of her work since she did the word of mouth covers for Word magazine uh, back in the day. And I just follow her on, I follow her on uh, Instagram and her other platforms. You can follow her, her Instagram, which is Yuko Art. Um, and she does all her arts in a very sort of similar style with the, uh, the hand drawn pencil ink style i am not an artist so i really put my foot in my mouth much like steven earlier tonight so one for one now um but uh yes her stuff is really really great and one of those few artists that you know i would like to, i would consider like commissioning something by because i really love her art style and when you look at some of the stuff in a a instagram it's just really fantastic stuff um so yeah um but for myself i watched a film that you talked about a few months ago now um because it was leaving the arrow player and that was inflatable sex doll the wastelands from 1967 the pinky thriller movie um yep it's not as exciting as the title tell sounds i'll tell you that much um, basically, uh, a hitman is uh, hired to go and uh, recover this guy's girl who's been uh, kidnapped by a bunch of Yakuza folks, um, entering into a very surreal sort of Lynchian world um, as nothing's quite what it seems. Um, and yeah, this is uh, a film directed by uh, Atsushi Yamatoa who is a and like a lot of the pink cinema directors i'm not very familiar with uh his work i mean this is one of four, four films he directed so um, you say <laughs> we know you've got I a huge guess. pink collection <laughs> no i know what you mean yeah. it's um it's much like underwater love it's not one thing or another really um and this one just is so abstract because it obviously is the it falls into that that same sort of uh, Japanese new wave style that we would see like a couple of years later with things like Brandon to Kill, which he actually would go on to work on as well. Um, but it's, as I say, it's all that, it's very sort of, and it's uh, very sort of surreal and dreamlike. So it's, it was a bit hard to get a sort of grasp on what was supposed to be happening here, especially as it does that trick of Lost Highway where it sort of ends where it starts. And you're not quite sure where the loop came into this, so. But uh, yeah, that was um, it was an experience. 
but it um, it didn't really work for myself. Uh, yeah, I I got to admit, I I haven't seen it. I can't. Remember, I don't know why I would have mentioned it. Maybe when we were talking about Roman porno before. I think it's because it's filtered through Mumbai because they were in a pinku. Oh, that's right. Yes, that, yeah, that was that. What you're absolutely right. That is what brought to my attention. No, I didn't watch it. Um, yeah, and and there is some argument that it's not technically a pink film and that it's just a, a sexploitation movie. <laughs> but um, yeah, the the I do again when we talked about them before many many episodes ago. Sometimes the charm of them is to see people their early works and that they went on to something else both in front and behind the camera i mean this is just it's just, just a really famous one is it famous because of its title <laughs> that it's just a weird title but it's you know it, it, it just looking out you know it, it's it's black and white right yes it's black and white and movie. jazz and a jazz soundtrack that that's probably also uh, what didn't help at all yeah um, I think it's been well documented on the show my my lack of love for jazz, um, but yeah, I mean it's the problem as well is the fact that this is coming in like that Japanese new wave era. So mm. you've got a lot of really sort of surreal movies like this. You've got this, and they've got films like Pearl Flower. So we obviously have. Um, a, a lot of style here but at the same time it's just the substance didn't really sort of balance it out mm. um, so yeah I don't know You, as I said you kids may like get a real kick out of this because it's sort of virtue you look at Letterbox and it's sort of like five it's, stars it's, it's, or two it's, and it's a Marmite film yeah I can get that hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Recall Podcast here at thatmomentin.com I am your host, The Vern, and on each episode, myself, along with the guest, we'll be talking about an iconic scene from a classic movie. Which films will we be discussing? Well, that's all up to you, because before each episode airs, we're going to be giving you a poll of great flits to choose from. Whichever one gets the most votes, that's the one we'll be talking about. So, listen to the Cinema Recall Podcast on the site thatmomentin.com or on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Podomatic, or SoundCloud. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so tonight's feature viewing is The Bullet Train, directed by Shunya Sato, um, released in 1975. This has been marked as being the inspiration for the classic 90s cult movie Speed, which gave the uh, world a very hip Keanu Reeves. Um, in the film, a bomb is planted on one of the Japanese bullet trains, uh, with uh, which will explode if it slows below 80 kilometers per hour, unless the authorities pay a ransom to the bombers. Um, and so leads a race between the police to locate the bombers, while the same crew try to figure out how to defuse the bombers and generally keep the passengers calm. This is a film that was uh, released in two cuts. We have the original Japanese cut, which is a whopping two and a half hours long, essentially making it the entire inferno on rails. Uh, there was also an international cut, which cut an hour out of the film. And it's the longer cut that we're actually looking at tonight, and arguably the one that you should be tracking down it is widely available um, and was put out as part of Optimum's Shonny Chiba Collection Volume 2. Um, this 
particular cuts really fleshes out a lot of the story elements um in particular the motivations for the bombers um by giving them full backstories which were all lost in the shortened cut was part of the arrow footage that was removed from the film this is also a film that we just well i chose because it features sonny chiba um it's also a movie where sonny chiba is barely in it because he plays the train driver so he's just driving the train <gasps> He plays the mechanic, mate. God, you're going to get all the train nerds mm. after you if you're not careful. <laughs> so I read a review where they called him the conductor, which, which probably would ban him from getting on a train ever. But, <laughs> I mean, this is obviously released in 95, and in 70, the 70s cinema uh, was sort of like a height of uh, popularity for the disaster movie these were normally star-studded affairs where you have some sort of crisis be it a vehicle out of control or a you know a, a disaster you know something, earthquake something on fire an, an earthquake a meteor yeah they're the, they're the classics um or um or a plane like, like a plane a train something like that the the would yeah i'm surprised anyone left the house in the 70s to be honest um, with you and you look at the sort of the lead up to this film coming out we've obviously got like airport which is 1970 you've got poseidon adventure which is 72 taron inferno which is 74 and earthquake as well in 74 and again these movies are just like killing at the box office and both like here in the uk and america and they're also killing it in international box offices as well and I mean, what Apple went on to have like four sequels, and they're all as ludicrous as each other. Well, the irony is, you know, like Airplane isn't actually a mocking the airplane film, the the the, the airport films, even though they did get more. I recently watched Airport seventy nine, the Concorde, which. We, I don't know if there's some avenue that we can do a podcast about, mate, but it's one of the most hilariously unintentional comedy films ever made, to which point it was actually marketed as a comedy film in America, even though it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> but yes, um, yeah, it's sort of kind of the 70s were full of these disaster movies and they were monstrously successful. So even an awful one like. Uh, uh, the Concord Airport 79 or whichever way around the title goes made its money back and more it just critically they just got slammed and I've watched yeah I'm sure I remember yeah these films I used to get um so again when I was a kid I remember like on the back of Weetabix and other cereal boxes they'd, they'd link up with these sorts of films and there'd be dioramas <laughs> to build like the towering inferno or um meteor is one i remember you know where it's just uh, like this painted backdrop that you cut off the back of the cardboard box and then you'd have little sort of things on stands and you'd have like a 3d cardboard playset. oh we were easily entertained in the 70s this is this is before computer games and and having tv that you could watch without your parents or phones it was fun but they, they were big and this film actually then got a US release just to fill the the sated the needs of the disaster film hungry Americans didn't it which I think is why there's a shorter version with less back 
stories for people and just <laughs> just cut to the uh, cut to the disaster bit. Let's not hear about. The oh no, we don't want to sympathise with, with villains. We don't want to have like these muddy waters of complex characters. We want a very sort of for the international cut. We want a very. We want there's, everything very there's a bomb on a train. Good yeah. guy, bad guy. We don't want to like sympathise with people, especially not in seventies cinema. Um, no, yeah, we, it's, it's, it's especially you know. Remember, this was a time where bombs on things was a real, a real genuine daily occurrence. Planes were getting literally taken over by terrorists on a what felt like a daily basis. Um, that there were things like the IRA in the UK. There were things like ETA in Spain. I, I think, y- yes, you know, bad stuff still happens. Of course it does. But I think we sometimes forget quite how scary the world was back in the 70s. It's almost as if we should do a podcast, Elwood, about how scary <laughs> the 70s were. Um, <laughs> that's a joke <laughs> so with Toei obviously never won to show away from an opportunity to cash in on a trend they set about doing just that and obviously with the bullet train being the most iconic one of the most iconic Japanese things uh, that they could sort of base their film around they obviously decided to uh, craft craft this, this film here um, the film was originally had wanted uh, Bunta Sugawara to play um, the main role of Akita. But his wife felt that it wasn't a good fit for her husband, mainly because, and I quote this, the train was the main character. Um, so instead, they passed the role to Ken uh, Takakura, who is in fact uh, the main lead and not Sonny Chiba as the box set would have you uh, believe. I mean, you are familiar with his um, work at all because he did a lot of films in the West. I mean, he did like Black Wayne, Black, I've got no job from Rossiners. Uh, he did Black Rain, The Yakuza, Mr. Baseball. Yeah, he's one of those crossover people that you forget's a bit of a crossover person. I mean, huge, um, you know, a huge number of roles in Japanese cinema. Um, including like a million films you and I would never see. <laughs> but um, he was also in Golgo 13, well. which is a... Um, yeah, exa- indeed. Um, also, that, that's in the yes, sun, that Sunny Chiba box set as well, isn't it? But yeah, yeah, he's... Um, I'm, I'm not sure I could recognise him out of a lineup, um, but he is a, he's a popular, very popular in Japan. And... Uh, yeah, and he is definitely the lead of this film. I think he has more screen time than anybody. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, Akita Hughes. Again, this is this is where we have the the sympathy for a character because normally when you have disaster movies, you have the very clear sort of villainous type who's normally like the unscrupulous uh, contractor who cut corners on the building or the saboteur. The one basically responsible. Although I think the Poseidon Adventure is unique in the respect that it's just a big wave. So it's no one's fault, really. Unless we want to blame Leslie Nielsen for not being able to drive a ship. <laughs> we could do that. A meteor, it it's just a meteor. Yeah. An earthquake's just an earthquake. 
but but I get your I get your point. Yeah, you know, you think about you think about the film that um, that many say was influenced by this in terms of speed. That's that's Dennis Hopper. He's just a bad man, isn't he? I don't think there's any terribly deep backstory. Whereas in this film, all the all the, all the guys involved have this really deep backstory, and you do feel that's right. I mean, Akita's this businessman who lost his manufacturing company to bankruptcy, separated from his wife and his kid, and he's struggling to start over. So he teams up with one of his former employees and an activist to form this plot where they're going to extort money from the government by planting a bomb on a train. And they don't actually do one bomb, they have another one on a cargo train uh, which is actually pretty good, spectacular good when they train, blow that yeah. one up. Isn't isn't it just? Do you think it they looks actually like blew it. up a real old train? I mean it does look like it. It looks like it is from the 1800s, you know, it's a steam train and, and, and stuff, but that didn't look it, like model work to me. That, that it, it yeah. looked like they genuinely blew up a train. But I, I you haven't been able to find out. The sort of like turn of the century, and we look at films such as like The General, and the height of entertainment was to actually stage train crashes. So it's not uncommon for them to actually like crash trains in like actual trains. Oh, and and I think um, is it Bridge Over the River Kwai? They, they did. really did blow up a bridge <laughs> with a train on it, didn't they? So. Um, that's obviously a thing, but yeah, I I I got to be honest with you. I was having a hard time following the plot early on in this film when they blew up a fucking train. <laughs> I was sold because <laughs> you know this 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 is not this is not a silly little movie. This is deadly serious, and. Yeah, it's got a cast of thousands. Yes, there's some tropes, you know, that we see in all disaster films. Although not many of them. But there were two things about it that really shocked me. And one is, I think they really grew up <laughs> a train. <laughs> and, and and that does add that level of um, tension to the movie for the rest of the time. Because then you think, well, if they blew up that train, maybe they blew up a bullet train well. Well, the, apparently the Japanese National Railway were not going to cooperate with the... Um, with the studio for a lot of filming so they built a 120th scale model bullet train set that's produced for the exterior action shots it seems that uh, for the actual bullet train they they used to yeah some of some of the bullet yeah some of the bullet train as you say exterior shots didn't look realistic but a lot of it was genuine i mean and and they also um they, they had those slow motion cameras and things, weren't they, as part of the plot? But I think they actually used them for the final shot, and they didn't work. <laughs> but yeah, this, this this is this is not a cheap film. This is not a man in a rubber suit running across um, a model of Tokyo. This feels it's got heft. Oh, definitely so. And it's certainly when you start getting like the backstories of these three bombers. And they're all like they're so well filled out. They've all got um, sort of noble sort of motivations for what they do and how they all come together. And at the same time, they're all sort of true believers in this cause. So it really sort of muddies the water of like who you're supposed to be rooting for. At the same time, when we look at who's on the train, it is like every other seventies disaster movie where we've got. You're looking at all these people that are being loaded on the train, like you've got the pop bands, you've got the film crew on there, you've got the pregnant woman, you've got a prisoner, because 
no apparently all the roads were closed that day and they had, the only way they can transport him is on a bullet train and, and and of course the prisoner happens to be the fourth member of the gang <laughs> so he's of of all the prisoners in all the world on all the trains it would be that um, one <laughs> so you've got you've got these interesting little uh, things that happen and certainly once panic breaks out on the the train because it's such a confined space the slightest commotion on the train it seems like the most epic sort of like um chaos erupting on the train there's a guy as well that tries to get off the train because he's got a big international business deal that's going to cost him like 400 billion yen if he doesn't make his meeting um so you it's funny when you like when you you like uh, compare this to obviously speak because you can see a number of moments that are like replicated in the bus sequence and stuff like mm. the crazy person who wants to get off the bus um in this case obviously you mm. have the the crazy man who wants to get off the bus we have the woman going into labor and these moments have like real emotional heft to them can we we this film is 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 nearly 50 years old what right? we can we can do spoilers yeah um, not only does a woman go into um, labour, she miscarries. Like, if there's not enough going on, that is like that was the second moment. That was like this shit got real dark, didn't it? <laughs> really quick, and she miscarries. The baby dies, and there's a little bit of, and 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 then she's going to bleed to death, and like. I think that's way darker than anything I've ever seen in an American disaster movie. You know, normally that would be the bit of hope, wouldn't it? Ah, but new life has come during this disaster. This was dark. Um, yeah, and there's also they keep saying there's 1,500 people on this train, right? It's not just 10 people or 20 people. That's a lot of people to be at risk. It's, um, yeah, I was... Like I say, took me a little while to get into it, but then I was hooked because of the backstories, because of the people. And yes, you're right, they are a bit tropey, but this was when the trope was being developed, isn't it? It was so hidden a quite... lot of the, the things that we came to expect from the disaster movie genre. I mean, obviously, mm. does, do you think this really sort of hits the same mark of being this star-studded affair that like the American counterparts would be, where you would have like... Fred Astaire <laughs> just like people had no right in it I mean you look at Tarrant Inferno we've got Steve McQueen, Fred Astaire OJ Simpson yeah I mean what what those films did I, I they usually have one big star like a Steve McQueen and then it would fill out with sort of TV famous actors so, so I go back to Airport 79 it's got Alain Delon in it, who was this huge star in France who could not cut a break in um, in in the West. And it was the last. Now he was, you know, he's the star of Le Samurai. You know, he's one of the coolest men in the world, and he's in this film. But everybody else on that plane is, well, they're like TV famous or famous for being famous. It would be like if they made it today, they'd have the cast of Love Island on there or something like that. But but also Tom Cruise would be in it. <laughs> just, that's what I always feel these films about. And of course, you've got Sonny Chiba. He was a big He's star. Second this billing, time, right? despite the fact I mean, he doesn't not... really get a lot to do in the film. So, and and he's not even very Sonny Chiba. No, in the no, bits he's, he's in, is he? He's he, 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 it's it's 
when you said, ah, oh, the Sonny Chiba film Bullet Train, I was expecting a completely different film, mate. Completely different movie. And I know he was in lots of different films. But that's not... And he's in that... that they did that, as you say, that, that box set, didn't they? That they sort of spun off his appearance in Kill Bill. Uh, yeah, it was... Because the volume one was the else. Street Fighter trilogy. And I think... It was yeah, it was weird which, actually because I don't can't tell if it was sort of like driven by that or the fact that True Romance opens with um, Kristen Slater's character meeting Rosario Dawson's no uh, Rosanna Arquette. Um, he meets her while he goes to see a Sonny Chiba triple feature, and it created this impossible fantasy for us film nerds where the hot chick comes and spills popcorn at you when you're seeing your kung fu triple feature. And we all go to sim on our birthdays, and it never happens. <laughs> no, um, no. The, but the the I I had a look at it and on a website, and and the 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 box art definitely seems to be um, channeling its inner Kill Bill. But they were again weird films, and and he's a good actor, but it it's like casting. Chuck Norris in an episode of The Office. It's just weird. <laughs> Things that people didn't know they wanted but do now, I guess. Um, yeah, but Ken Takakura is clearly a huge star. Sonny Chiba's a huge star. Some of the others I don't know. I mean, it is also got this whole feel of... Did you get um, Shin Godzilla feels? Oh, well, the fact where... we're all hanging around... Uh... <laughs> There's a lot of hanging around incident rooms and people cheering at things before the well, you know at the, <clears throat> there's, a, there's, there's a whole um, section where you know it's very intense and there's a bullet train coming in the other direction and they can't stop it and the points need to be moved and so these two bullet trains one of which can't go any so Sonny Chiba's got to make sure that it doesn't go below was it 80 kilometers an hour some some arbitrary number but they're gonna they're both gonna hit the points at the same time and it's and it's kind of stressful and kind of exciting, but there's just a bunch of guys in suits in a room with computers and lights that then suddenly go, yay, we've done it! It's interesting, really, the real... it's like you've got the free threads. You've obviously got the action on the train, you've got the action in the control yeah. room, and then you've got the detectives trying to track down the bombers. Mm. And they're constantly, like, always seem to be, like, one step behind Akita. Who, despite being mm. not like a criminal mastermind, somehow has got this amazing plot twist. Even though he's with these two sort of like bubbling crooks, who are sort of more money driven, he's got it. He's got it sort of like worked out what he needs to do, how he's going to do like the money collections. And when you look at his his partners in this scheme, the, as soon as they like encounter the police, they die in horrible ways. One dies in a motorcycle accident. The other one blows himself up with dynamite in spectacular fashion. Um, yeah, but he's always like, you know, he's like, um, like Robert De Niro in Heat. Yeah, he's got he's got plans upon plans upon plans upon plans. Even in the first instance, to collect the money, you know, it says right, go to get your helicopter to go to this school. They get to the school, and that's where they think the handover is going to be. But it turns out he's got two other places to send them. You know, he's he's clearly thought all this through because he's a. You know, he's a, he's a he's obviously a businessman, not a yakuza. So he's been plotting this in 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 depth way. It does get a bit ridiculous, <laughs> I got to say, because <laughs> the, the 
the film does occasionally lag a little bit. There's that whole bit. Oh, what is it? When the they're going to get him, and then there's a judo excursion in the mountains, and they say, "Get out the way!" Oh yeah, there's just <laughs> random. It's like, did you need to do that? We could have done with it. It's it's like the random karate man in pieces. It makes yeah. no sense whatsoever why why they're included or what they will be doing hanging around in the in the mm. uh, the mountains there. But uh, it's it, it as I say, it's a long film, but it's a very engrossing film. It is, but it's got that whole there. There is this um, another film it reminded me of is uh, Akira Kurosawa's High and Low, which is a modern detective story. Um, and it's all very procedural, and it does involve a lot of men in suits running around at the same time, and a lot of faith in, <clears throat> I don't know, like like um, governmental organisations and things like that, and technology, and, and this this had that, and I guess we're kind of used to, and it really reminded me of Shin Godzilla, because <laughs> which is well, a lot of Godzilla films are like that, aren't they? Where there's these there's these groups of people, these government organisations that that are there to protect us all, and the Japanese people have utmost faith in it, right? Even at the, so at the beginning, and also got to remember the time since so I talked about, you know, there's all this terrorist things and and the like. There's also this this is the time of the student protests. Um, in Japan as well. So at the first, they see all the um, guards going down the train, having a look for the bomb, and the passengers say straight away, "Well, why don't you just stop the train like you normally do? You're looking for a bomb, aren't you?" <laughs> There's no like mystery about it. But they just expect the police or the guards on the train just to stop the train, look for the bomb, then we'll carry on and we'll get we'll end up in Tokyo or wherever we're meant to end up. Quite nicely. Um, and that's, I think that's a very Japanese thing. This, there's no, no. This film doesn't really have like that. It doesn't have a, a Reeves-like hero who's going to buck the buck authority and do crazy things to get us to succeed with with some dangerous backstory. No, it's just blokes in suits doing their job that they're trained to do. And I kind of like that about it. I wouldn't want all my disaster films to be done like that but i really liked that that aspect of it yeah it's certainly gonna and when you have like the disaster sort of movie elements in there i think they all work really well uh whether it's like passengers going into blind panic on the train or we have the uh bizarre passing of a oxacetylene torch across uh, two trains which is visually very interesting to look at acting wise is very confusing as to what's going on, because you seem to be watching two people play tug of war with an, uh, with a, a gas tank between two trains. Neither side seems to actually be passing it to the other. Yeah, I'm. I'm not saying it's a perfect film. Um, I do think. Um, it, it. It. I. I think there's a couple of times it's not terribly clear what's going on, or it's not really well realised, but. I just, yeah, I, I just got a kick out of it all, even if it though it was two and a half hours long. W- would you check out the shorter version, or do you think that? Would I think be? I would check it, check out just to see how it plays. I mean, as I said, the fact that it, with the longer version, it's very sort of critical of the authorities and uh, their handling of it, and very sympathetic of the bad guys. And from what I've heard, 
the shorter international cut is very sort of traditional in the fact that oh the bad guys are very bad because it cuts out all their backstory so they're just a bunch of bombers trying to get money trying to get uh, money off the authorities mm. so, um, yeah I would, I'm interested to to see how it plays whether it's um, actually plays strong plays any different as a short film and I think maybe that'll be something I'll have to look into before we uh, our next episode and see how it plays so. mm. also do you think Okita's kid is scarred for life after basically getting his dad killed <laughs> Yeah, well, the whole scene, I kept th- thinking he was like going to, because again, this is much like Heat. It takes place on a, a an airplane runway, as he makes his last ditch attempt to escape, only to uh, it's got horribly wrong. And I kept thinking he was going to get sucked into a, a jet engine. Yeah, I don't really know what he was doing because he kept looking at this plane, which I assume is the plane he wasn't able to get on because his yeah. kid dobbed him in. Maybe certainly um, like thinking like. Grab it. Yeah, and I, 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 and what happens is I think he gets shot, but they've tried to use this slow motion camera, which apparently broke and overexposed all the film. So it suddenly turns a bit <laughs> pop arty, and you don't really know what's happened to him. He sort of, but I think he's shot. I don't. He- you don't hear a bang. You don't see with the general with the opi- opinion looking on like Wikipedia that yeah. was that's what happened to him. So. Yeah, but it, it's it's not terribly clear. But yeah, but basically all because his little son just had a just dobbed him in when it and 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 I just think oh, I'd love to I'd love to see how that kid feels about the fact that he's responsible for his dad's death. <laughs> the film doesn't really go into those kind of. Uh, There's a number details. of horror movies that would suggest that he would go on to be a <laughs> a psychopath too. Yeah. <laughs> you look at the remake of Cyanide Deadly Night. That's what. <laughs> that's the whole trigger yeah. point to what? it. I mean, if and if this really did inspire Speed, it really should have had the kid be the bad guy in Speed. <laughs> well, I'm now remembering what the whole basis of Dennis Hopper's like uh, rage was was the fact that he got cheated out of his retirement fund, is what I believe, and that's why he straps his gold watch yeah. that they give <laughs> onto the bomb. Yeah, that is. You're um, right. That is that is why I, I think I think I demeaned his. Um, his motivations yeah. earlier on, and but speed you're right. being speed is a weird movie because it should have ended with the bus, but we we tries to tack on another one and go for the train as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah, speed because it's an elevator, then you, it's, you, you, it's in a bus. <coughs> um, that's right. Yes, it is like it is like three. It is a triple that's threat, right. isn't um, it? And we only remember the bus. Remember the bus. Everyone remembers the the bus, and we all remember. Sandra Bullock being in that sort of rom-commy stage. That's prime. It's prime Bullock, um, isn't it? Really. And I remember the line is sort of like, "Bombers fall in love with one type of bomb. This guy likes dynamite C4." <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I can imagine Dennis Hopper probably would love old bombs. <laughs> I, I I think uh, yeah, Hopper would have a favourite. A favorite explosive. Just all the explosives. I'm, I'm is sure. His favorite. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like why stop at one? Oh. Uh, but then again, I think Dennis Hopper. I think the more unhinged to Dennis Hopper is, the more enjoyable he is. Has why Waterworld is so much fun. Um, 
where he accounts the fact that the heavy machine gunner can't hear them because perhaps we're calling him the wrong name and then says, try calling him Pete. <laughs> but I, I challenge I do, anyone I who doesn't who doesn't like Waterworld, especially the smoker attack on the floating city. I think it's just... I've yet to find a, a more enjoyable action scene. Just the way that whole sequence is constructed is still fantastic. I'm going to fess up. Never seen never Waterworld. Seen Waterworld. <laughs> However, I have seen the Waterworld <laughs> show at Universal Studios, which is really fucking good. And I do know that it's a myth that Waterworld was a big bomb and lost money. And it actually made money. It took a long time, but when you factor in, it was really, you know, it was one of those films, a bit like The Shawshank Redemption, which was ended up actually being very popular on home media and internationally. And so while everyone says, oh, it was a big flop, and I don't think you can say the same about The Postman, <laughs> but Waterworld actually was... Um, actually more than broke even so but, but you still hear these myths saying oh it's one of the biggest flops of all time well I believe you may if it was that big a flop they wouldn't have made an attraction about it at Universal Studios I remember them saying that trying to construct and trying to build on water was like trying to build on a beach ball <laughs> things mm. just kept rolling off I think it was incredibly ambitious and this it was, was in that. The truth is, this was Kevin Costner coming off Dancing with Wolves, and they thought he could basically do what he wanted. Well, yeah, he'd done Dancers of Wolves, he'd done. Um, what's the oh, baseball Field of movie Dreams. with the Field of Dreams, all in the same time. And with, the, with, you know, let's just have a moment. Poor Ray Liotta passed away, and James Kahn in the last couple of weeks. So, the, but yes, but anyway, um, yeah, Kevin Costner was, could do no wrong. You know, he, he managed to get people to go to watch a three and a half hour film where he barely is able to converse with a Native American woman. Oh, yeah, yeah the only white <laughs> um, Native yeah, American woman, uh, should we say. But anyway. Yeah, that's, um, that's a that's that's. And a, then James Cameron remade it as Avatar. So yeah. gave all the nerds well, went, bitch about. Actually, Kevin Costner was in JFK as well. I mean, he was able to sell the three hour movie no, Oliver Kevin Stone Costa. was able to sell for a three hour movie yeah. about JFK but Costner was a box office draw big time mm. at that time so yes I mean whether that was true I think the postman proved there was a limit to it. anyway back to the bullet train <laughs> yes the bullet train I think is it's a film definitely worth hunting out I think when we originally entered into this one I had never seen this before so this is my first time viewing for myself as well and I saw Sonny Chiba I had it in the, the watch pile here and I heard, saw the connection speed and thought great Sonny Chiba action hero role and it's not even his movie at all <laughs> so yeah that's a disappointment but I, like you I I didn't I've heard of this movie also I think you, you said it about the beginning Let's face it, bullet trains are iconic. They're like, to me, it's like the Japanese version of like the British post box or telephone box, right? Even though they don't really exist anymore. I mean, bullet trains do. And not all bullet trains look the same. And this isn't maybe a model of bullet train that is in my head as the icon. Just trains and Japan are just such a thing. 
you know the whole running on time the 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 etiquette around them the visual appeal of the bullet train if i was to be sad enough to have a railway set which i do have but that's from when i was a kid but if i was to go today and buy a railway set and invest more money than i could ever have in that i would get a bullet train one because they're just gorgeous looking aren't they like like giant dildos on rails but nothing else nothing else is like them i do quite like trains full stop i'm afraid to say but um which is fortunate as i work in the railway industry but yes wasn't the film i was expecting i was expecting sunny chiba to kick ass along a train and it to be like a martial arts version of um you thought it's gonna be like the brad pitt version that's coming out yeah well obviously when looking up stuff for this show all it came up with was bloody brad pitt and julia roberts so is she the one in it is it julia roberts somebody that he's in lots of no julia roberts was that was the was the trailer i had to endure with george clooney um i can't remember who the lady is but yes everything was that but everything was the brad pitt bullet train without other which is going to ruin everyone's ability to find this film forevermore. But, yeah, I was... I really, really enjoyed it. Is this our first disaster movie? Well, I'd, I mean, you can obviously count all the kaiju movies we looked at. But yeah, yeah, but I think I think that, yes... That, uh, this is know, the first sort of, sort of traditional disaster yeah. movie. But then I'm trying to think of any other sort of, like, other examples of disaster movies within Salvation Summer, oh, really. well... So there are a whole bunch of summer blockbustery Korean movies like Tidal Wave or Hyundai. Oh yes, of course, known. there's that one about and this, like the Tower of Inferno as well, isn't there? The, so. the the Tower. Funnily enough, when I was searching through my collection of films to suggest for next episode, Tower did come out and it was nearly there. Um, Sector Seven, which is a bit of a sort of a sci-fi one. Most of these star the same actress, but yes, The Flu is another one. Um, all you know, which is. Obviously, it's also a contagion type movie, but um, is that doesn't so so yeah? Korea has this aspect, and you're quite right. Of course, kaiju movies are fundamentally disaster movies, aren't they? Um, in in Japan, um, but yeah, I, I yeah I like a train movie, you know. And I, what was the um what's the zombie one on the train? Train to Busan. You know, that's that's a kind of disaster movie as well. Although the disaster's going on all over the place at the same time. But yeah, no, really and I you know, I did notice on your letterbox how many stars you gave it and I thought Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing this now. <laughs> but yeah. Um I will also check I'll try and check out the shorter version as well. But really good. Really solid movie. Nineteen seventy five for the win. Nice. Uh, this is currently sitting at this is uh, currently sitting as number 16 in my uh, top film watches for this year so well I can promise you it's above Lord of the Rings for me <laughs> <laughs> and and some other classics I've watched recently and been incredibly disappointed by um, yes no really really good cool uh, have you got nothing else to say on this one? No, I think I've I've gushed enough. 
So that brings us into tonight's episode. Thank you as always for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. Leave us a comment, leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show, as it all helps raise the profile of the show as well. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Come say hi to us there. And you can also check out our blog, which is moving, which is asiansimmerphoneclub.wordpress.com, which has got our full archive of episodes, including our month-long seasons of um, Takashi Miike movies and Anthony Wong movies, as well as our chapter-by-chapter breakdown of Battle Royale, that was the Battle Royale podcast, which uh, is also available on this feed, but it's on an independent feed as well to check out as well. But, um, Stephen, it's your turn to choose. What are you going to choose next for episode 89? So, even as I speak, there are two options, but I'll talk myself into the answer. So I want to look at another Choi Hark film. Okay. I've got two in my hands, right? One of them, though, I think would make better context as a little mini-series. So I was thinking of Flying Swords of Dragon Gate, which is a film I really, really like, and it's probably like one of the few 3D films that actually works. Not that either of us can watch it in 3D anymore, but I remember watching it at um, cinema in Hackney in 3D at 2 o'clock in the morning, and it was bloody amazing. Um, but I think you can't really watch Flying Swords of Dragon Gate without seeing New Dragon Gate in and Dragon Gate in. <laughs> and so I think maybe we should, um, for some episode somewhere, look at all three of those movies in the round so I'm dropping that and I'm going to suggest we watch Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain which is the film that basically inspired Big Trouble in Little China so I thought we'd have lots to talk about with that one fantastic um, so that will be on our next one um, yeah I mean New Dragon Gate Inn is one, probably one of the, one of the first um, movies I picked up through Hong Kong Legends mm. and I think it's because people had swords on the cover that would appeal, appeal to me a lot but uh, the that's obviously the remake of Dragon Inn Dragon Inn has just been added to uh, the Arrow Player a part of the King Q collection oh has it, um, okay interesting a new, new Dragon Gate Inn would be my introduction to Bridget Lin as well as Magic, Maggie Chung indeed and Donnie Yen was also in that one he was. And, and Tony Lunk. It is. No, so New Dragon Gate in, and it's also done by Choi Hart. I mean, he went back to the well as well, <laughs> I think. Um, but all three movies are really, really good, even though they're telling the same story. Is Maggie Chung not in Dragon Inn, the very first one as well? Like, is in one of her very first roles. And she's like, she doesn't even look like the same person. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I think, I think there's something there we can do with those three movies in a in a special or something like that whereas um i zoo, zoo warriors is a film i haven't watched for a long 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 time and i do know it's incredibly you like i say it inspired john carpenter to make big trouble in little china and it's got a really solid cast and really solid special effects and hopefully is available on some streaming service for you i've got a copy of it around here somewhere i've i mean I, yeah i've got the i've got the more recent blu-ray that came out because it was put out through hong kong legends so i mm. believe i've got it somewhere so we'll find that and we will discuss that next time and yeah it's always nice to do a sword and sorcery movie yeah i think we i think i think they sort of wish movies we haven't really um because it's f- done for a while have we 
if I remember rightly, it falls in that same sort of category of Bride with White Hair. It, absolutely, that would have been the last film we so, looked at. Yeah. Um, so that and um, uh, that wizard one. The Battle Wizard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the kind of those, those Wuxia films which have uh, this fantastical element mm. as well. Um, so all all about that. Excellent. So that's good choice, Stephen. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, and obviously, if you want to see us do a Dragon Gate triple, let us know in the comment section. We'll make it happen. Uh, but uh, until next time, thank you for listening. Thanks for my co-host, Stephen. It's a pleasure as always. And we uh, will I will say goodnight and uh, we will see you next time to talk about Hey 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 This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.